Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and all the 3CR listeners, dogs, cats, and whoever else is in, in the bylines there in, this, in these COVIDness times at home, or maybe even on the road, I don't know. Um, you can be listening to us at 855 on the AM dial, but we are the dogs. We are the defenders of government schools. And you can be listening to our podcast through the website, www.3cr.org. Or you could be just listening to us because someone sent you an email with a link saying, listen to this, it's interesting and it's worthwhile. Now, as defenders of government schools, we are now living in probably the most interesting of all times that any of us have ever experienced since, well, at least the Second World War and probably before. The world has gone mad, and we are here to help you make sense of a very small part of it at the dogs, because government schools, the one thing that's kept a lot of people sane and put together as we come out of this business is the fact that a government school in Australia is open to all. They don't care what religion you are. They don't care what colour your skin you are. In fact, they don't even care if you've got the coronavirus. You can't come to school today, but don't worry. When you're all fixed up, you can come back then. We don't care because we don't discriminate about things like that in government schools, in state schools. Also, the government school is free at point of service which is to say that I pay for it and you pay for it and we all pay for it, but the kids don't have to pay for it on the day. You don't have to turn up to a government school with 20 bucks in your pockets to pay the fees. Government schools are also in this world a source of uncompromised knowledge. People talk about fake news and perspectives and things like that, but government schools in these really weird times, there are places you can go to get learning, not Catholic maths or Islamic history, although I'm sure those things might be interesting. When you go to a government school, you can find out what the world is about. You can find out about the science and the history from a perspective that allows you to make decisions about what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. Government schools provide all of those things to the people of Australia and have been seen as valuable. They're not private schools, they don't charge money and they don't have agendas. And they're not religious, they're secular in purpose. And more than ever in the history of Australia, they are now under attack. And I'm, we will outline, Dale, Jean and myself, how they're being under attack. There, there's so many different angles. We'll be starting off by talking about a little place called Cabbage Tree Island. Now, Jean has an experience with Cabbage Tree, Cabbage Tree Island from before most of us were born, in 1962, when she went up there. And what's happening now is still an extraordinary thing. From 1962 to today, that's right, 66 years later, what her experiences were don't seem to have changed very much. I'm also going to talk about how the market is destroying public education in America. Betsy DeVos is... Education Secretary there, and she'll be out on the warpath, and we're about to expose her on the dogs program for what it is she's actively doing during this crisis. While a 100,000 citizens of the United States of America have died of coronavirus or COVID-19, she is doing a takeover of the public school system at the same time, 
hopefully, while no one's watching. But here in Australia, the COVID-19 thing is exposing all sorts of interesting fault lines in Australian culture and society. And I think now is the time to highlight that, now before we all come back. Before we go any further, I think I'm going to share with you something that's always special every week here on the Doctor Program, which is Jean's press release. Now, Jean does a press release, and she's done it 842 times in the past, which means this is the 843rd press release. They're world famous. And she's going to talk about the Indigenous children of Australia on Cabbage Tree Island who have not just metaphorically, not just in an arts sense, not just in a cultural sense, but in a real physical sense, been forgotten by us, the rest of Australia. And, Jane, I'd like to pass over to you. Yes, thank you so much, Robert. Uh, I just heard this uh, on the news, and as soon as I heard the word Cabbage Tree Island, I was taken back to 1962. Uh, in those days, uh, young people were concerned about Aborigines and what had happened in Australia, and as students, we'd raised the money, what they call the Abscol program, to make sure that there were university graduates from the Indigenous community that could help the community. But uh, in those days, the, the our programs, the government and also the church programs, were trying to integrate the Indigenous people into the general community. So I went with another bunch of good do-gooders up to Lismore to build a house in the town for an Aboriginal family. And it was a tremendous cultural shock to my system that it was possible for people in my country to be living in the circumstances that they were in the uh, Lismore area. The Aboriginal people of that area, Lismore, was their country and they weren't going to move from it. They were in the next valley living in worse than third world uh, situation with a teacher, a public school teacher, teaching their children under extraordinary circumstances. Uh, the rumour was that he was a communist. Well, I don't care what he was. He was a very brave and special man. But then we also went to another place called Cabbage Tree Island, and that was even worse. Uh, the, the houses that these people were in and the situation in which they were living uh, without running water was really quite shocking. So I was very interested to hear what was happening there in these days. And the press release 843 is this. Indigenous children forgotten in the time of plague. Now, on the 27th of May 2020, Cabbage Tree Island Public Schools featured for a few minutes on the ABC. There is a principal there who is herself of Indigenous heritage and Ms. Dinone Anderson was outraged at the treatment meted out to her Indigenous children by the New South Wales Education Department. Like all children throughout Australia, these children were expected to engage in online learning. There's 29 of them, 
for their all Indigenous children. But like the most disadvantaged, they did not have the computers that were necessary until school went back. And even then, when the computers arrived, they actually didn't have the internet available on the island. Now, this is just one instance of the glaring inequalities in the Australian education system exposed in these times of plague. The coronavirus crisis, which has until this week emptied schools around Australia, has highlighted the imbalance and the lack of resources in education systems across the board. And it exposes the continuing discrimination shown, in particular when it comes to children of Indigenous heritage. But the story also exposes the consequences of decentralisation of what was once a very strong centralised educational administration in New South Wales, but worse has happened down here in Victoria. In times of crisis, resources can only be expanded to outlying areas by a strong, well-resourced, central administration. For the last 50 years, though, there's been a romancing about school-based decision-making, politicians trying to ape the elite urban privatisation model. Yet while the Catholic system in particular has been centralising into strong central lobbying bureaucracies, the public systems throughout Australia in our state states have been systematically run down and deprived of essential funds and inspectors. Outlying schools like Cabbage Tree Island Public School are at the end of a line of attacks on the centralised public education system of New South Wales. It wasn't that the people in Sydney didn't want to send those computers to those children. They did. But they didn't have the means whereby to get them to them quickly. And that is a failure of the administration. And it's a failure, above all, of the politicians who've been romancing about the way things work for a long time. Now, the story of Cabbage Tree Island is both particular and a not untypical case in Australian education history. Now, we would like to tell you a lot more about Cabbage Tree Island and we will, but I think we'll have a little break now because there's some very important announcements that we want you to hear. Many of you will be familiar with 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser. It's when you, our listeners, literally keep the station going with your generous donations. It's a vibrant and busy time each June at the station and an all-in effort from our volunteers, staff and supporters. But in 2020, under the COVID-19 restrictions, we need to do things a little bit differently. So stay tuned for our June Station Appeal. It'll be online, on point, and be asking those of you who can to make a donation to keep 3CR alive. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. Yes, well now we've been, we've been talking about Cabbage Tree Island and I'd like 
to tell you a little bit more about this place because it's very interesting and it's a lovely little school and they've done a great deal uh, in the last 50 years and should be commended for this, especially the current principal. But it's not an old tribal ground because the Aboriginal settlers were put there about 1885 by a mounted policeman. And the first Aboriginals to settle on the island were a person called Duke, Jack Roach, and Jack Hopper Cook. And the next settlers to make their homes on the islands were the Bolts or the Sparks, the Capines, and the Roberts. And the Roberts are a very well-known Aboriginal family in Aboriginal activism. Now, this group was made up of people from as far south as Kempsey and also from Tweed and Tanterfield. And they usually took their names from white settlers for whom they worked. Papa Cook grew the first crop of sugar cane and he was a bullock driver where Lismore is now situated. But in his youth, there was only one homestead. So I assume that Papa Cook belonged to that tribe that remained in the next place, the next valley to Lismore that I met in 1962. When sugar cane growing developed, the cabbage tree men started cane cutting and they established a gang, which was called the Black Gang, with an Aboriginal banger. So the people of Cabbage Tree Island have always known not only where they came from, but they were going to do things their way. And in the last 50 years, the Aboriginal community have acquired a new school, they only had a very run-down school until the 1960s, and also a thriving community. And their public school teachers, as they always have, are prepared to speak up for and fight for their children. The school has a total enrolment of approximately 40 Aboriginal students, uh, although it's about 29 at the moment, from preschool age to year six. And it's Isolated to services, although the Jali Health Service and the Bunjum Cooperative are located on the island and provide community services on specific days of the week. Uh, so they also have kindergarten to year six school, uh, which employs one permanent teacher, a teaching principal, an Aboriginal education officer, a senior administration manager four days a week, and a school administration officer one day a week, and a general assistant also. The majority of these educators are Aboriginal, and they're important for providing a culturally relevant curriculum in this place, because the island has a very rich cultural history, and has been, this has been part of the school since it was established as early as 1893. So this is a community but also knows how to fight for itself and its children. And I think that the principal has to be commended because she actually got on to the ABC. But one wonders how many other little Aboriginal schools around the continent haven't got a principal that can fight the way this lady did. What happened there? When Cabbage Tree Island Public School, like a lot of all the schools around Australia, went into homeschooling mode in March, only one family on the whole island had a laptop. 
the unaging device that they had there promptly broke when four children shared it for schoolwork. And not a single student had actual reliable internet access at home. And the principal said, we have been forgotten. She said that the school had desktop computers in classroom, but they were impossible to lend out. The school also had half a dozen laptops, but without internet connection, the students could use, couldn't use them at home. So the community had been looking after its children. It had been trying to get the technology into the school, but there was no internet on the island. As other students across the state were taking part in Zoom meetings with teachers and logging into online classes, the poor principal was printing and posting out hard copies of lessons. And there's a lot of public schools throughout Australia who have not been online and who have been receiving a paper lessons at home, posted or even delivered by teachers. In March, the Department of Education announced that it would lend digital devices to thousands of students in need. So the central uh, bureaucracy wanted to help, and Miss Anderson immediately ordered enough laptops, iPads, and Wi-Fi modems for her 40 pupils. And she waited almost two months. I'm sorry, when I said 29, there are only 29 uh, in, in 2018, I think. In 2020, there are 40, so this is a growing school. Last week, nine iPads arrived, but without internet dongles. Miss Anderson said there was no point distributing them to families. Now that school's back, the devices need to be returned to the department by the end of term. It's hardly worth opening the boxes, she said. It wouldn't be so bad if they just told us about the delay so that we could have looked at other options, mm. but we were left in the lurch. So things may have changed in Cabbage Tree Island since the 1960s when conditions for the Indigenous people on the station with its manager were nothing short of appalling, but when online learning was the only thing available for its Indigenous children, the basic resources were still just not available. So that is the press release, and hopefully later we'll have time for Robert to tell you more about this school from the My School website. Oh, Jean, thank you very much. I'm going to make time, quite frankly, because Cabbage Tree Hill is an interesting place. I think the fascinating thing is the principal didn't say it's, she didn't say it's terrible because we've been left in the lurch. She's saying, yeah, you left us in the lurch. If you were just going to tell us up front, we could have sorted ourselves out, thank you very much, and sent you the bloody bill which she would have done, absolutely. She would have ducked into Lismore, got herself some iPads and by hook or by crook, and who knows how she'd get them, but she'd get them because she loves her kids. But no, they just left them out there in the lurch for two months, and now it's all back to school. She's saying, what is the point? You send me a laptop, where's the internet connection? You send me the interconnection, where's the iPad? You know, you just, you've, you've, you've made a mess. Mm. You've made a mess for us. And who are we at Cabbage Tree Well, I'll tell you who we is at Cabbage Tree Hill. And I think it's a fascinating we because 
quite frankly, as a bunch of kids, you've got 87% of those kids come from the lowest, poorest families in Australia. Now, you hear me sometimes talk about ICSIA values. When I talk about ICSIA values, I'm often talking about things like, um, you know, 1,000 is the mean, and then, you know, sometimes it's 900 if you're a bit poor, and sometimes it's 1,100 if you're stinking rich, in terms of the mean for the entire school. The exit value for this school is 687. That's 350 points below. It is one of not just the poorest schools in New South Wales, it's one of the poorest schools in the country. And can they be bothered? Now, I'll tell you, they spend $25,000 a year, a kid, on educating these kids. Full-time equivalent, there's two and a half teachers there with all the administrative staff all put together because most of them are one day a week and I'm sure they do much more. So, yeah, they're not spending that much more than, than they would at any other remote school in Australia. But these kids, they've got no fallback. They don't have a computer in the house. They haven't got a smartphone. They might or might not have power. Now, where are you going to charge up your bloody laptop? That becomes a question from day to day when it comes to doing your maths homework. Mm. Now, that if those simple, basic questions are being ignored here in the situation in Carrie's Treasure. And for one, I think I, I thank the principal for bringing it to our attention, and I thank the principal for actually fighting for her kids. And as I say, yeah, there's all those people that Jim was talking about working there, teaching and non-teaching staff, but if you put them all together, most of them are one day a week. So, you know, it's it's a community that needs to be supported. There's no question about it. Now, talking about support, 3CR, the fact that you're listening to me now telling you about this, is something that doesn't happen by magic. Now, traditionally, every year at 3CR, we are supported by the community. We have a radiothon. And this year, radiothon is going to be very, very different. But we will call upon our listeners and supporters when the time comes very quickly in June. I think it's a couple of weeks away, my goodness. It is Radiothon is going to be very, very different this year. Mm. But having said that, it is more important now to have the voices of the community, not just the principal of Cabbage Tree Hill, but all the people around the country and specifically all the people who are living here on the traditional lands in what we today call Melbourne. We need our voices to be heard. The only way that's going to happen is through places like what you're listening to now, because I'm in the ether, but the place that I'm in is 3CR855 on the AM dial. 3CR is your station in solidarity and struggle. We've been with you since 1976, and we are here to stay. Throughout June, we're running a station appeal. We need the financial support of our listeners to stay independent, community-owned and radical. Jump online and give what you can. Go to 3cr.org.au.
So this is in the middle of the pandemic where this billionaire is suing the Pentagon for a military contract for what most people think is the place that you order books from. It's a very interesting case study in pulling out the different threads of militarism and how it can really be embedded in so many aspects of our lives that we don't even realize that when we order something from Amazon that we're putting workers' lives at risk and that we're supporting what is becoming an increasingly important actor in the military-industrial complex. Exposing that to people, I think, is very important. People will care if they understand that this is how things are all interconnected and linked. It's surfacing that information, it's making that accessible and making it relevant for people's lives. And I think that is another opportunity that COVID-19 really presents to us is that we are all connected and these structures are all connected. We can see that much more clearly now than we could before. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Um, we've been talking about what's going on ex- very locally, Cabbage Tree Hill, but I'm going to broaden out the discussion in terms of defending public education, not in the particular, but in the general. And when I say general, defending public education in a world of plague becomes a problem, especially when there's a lot of money flying around. Now, at the moment around the world, for very good reason, there are some people that have very, very, um, how can I say, urgent needs. If you need a ventilator, you need a ventilator. If you need a doctor, you need a doctor. If you need a nurse, you need a nurse. If you need medicine, you need medicine. These are things... You don't argue about it. And certainly when it comes to sorting stuff out, there are people who go, well, there's this money flowing around. I want some as well. Now, Betsy DeVos. Betsy DeVos is the Education Secretary over there in the United States of America, and she's got her hand in the pocket. She's using the COVID-19 relief funds to fund private and charter schools. She's taking the money which goes which goes to state schools in the United States and she's diverting it to private enterprises, to private companies to solve the problem, inverted commas, of education in America while nobody's watching. Because the funds have COVID-19 relief funds, but she's sending them to private companies who run educational businesses. Now, it's COVID-19 in America because here in Australia, tragically, over a 100 people have died. In the United States of America, tragically, over a 100,000 people have died. Which, to my mind, they're just numbers. But if you just allow those things to just sit for even a few seconds you go, that's that's tragedy of yeah, but I yeah, it, it, it's not worth considering beyond a certain point and then you go and have a cup of tea. And mm. um, well I do, or a cup of coffee or <laughs> a nice beer, maybe, I don't know. But quite frankly, it's that's more people in America than died in the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Afghan War and the Iraq War all put together. 
More people have died in the last three months in America from a disease through incompetence. It was like, we have a hundred, which is a tragedy. I have a hundred thousand, which is something else. But during this time, school districts start scrambling to convert classroom learning areas in America into online instruction. And state governments have been threatening to slash education budgets and charter schools and private school advocates now see this is the opportunity to pounce and siphon off federal relief funding because they'll say, oh, we're a private company. Here's our business plan. We'll do it for you. Give us the money. Because quite frankly, running state schools during a plague can be very difficult with no money. Now, Glenn Beck, who's a right-wing um, radio host in America, had an interview with the Education Secretary, Betsy DeVos. And she said, it's an opportunity, she said, to collectively look very seriously at the fact that K-12 education for too long has been very static and very stuck in one method of delivering and making education instruction available. She says, George Mason of the university's Mercatus Centre, Merchant Centre, who's a free market advocate, which, by the way, is funded by the Koch brothers as part of the university. And, by the way, it's the Koch brothers' family foundations that distribute the money. So you can't be rude about families, can you? That's the gun, that's the gun lobby family. Yeah. Our families, guns, families, private education. So this is America we're talking about. They're calling for deregulation of public schools and a dramatic expansion of online private schooling as alternatives. The Washington Policy Centre, or affiliate of the Koch Brothers Funded State Policy Network, another one they have, argues that private and charter schools are the best schools equipped to handle online learning because they are better equipped to innovate and caringly respond to the pressing needs of students. Now, just for our regular listeners, when I say things like um, that online company is better equipped to innovate and caringly respond, that's technically called absolute crap. Okay? That's just not true. They're saying those words to get money from a big government person who needs to get rid of it. Taxpayers. Now, whether or not private or religious or virtual schools are best equipped to serve students virtually, the private and the religious sector are getting a leg up from DeVos, who is diverting additional emergency federal education funding not to the state schools, but to the private schools and the religious schools, which are private schools, and the virtual schools, which are private. These are all businesses. The whole point of them existing is they take taxpayers' money and they turn it into profits. Profits. The state school cannot make a profit, so it doesn't waste its money with silly things like that. Hmm. Now, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Act, signed in March over in America, included $30 billion in education stabilisation funding for institutions harmed by what is going over there in America, which is absolute tragedy. $14 $14 billion for universities, $13.2 billion for elementary and secondary schools, and the rest goes to state governments who distribute to the schools themselves. Now, this money, that was where it was intended to go. 
This money is now being directed as discretionary funding that was intended for grants to be used by state governments into a new grant program and some additional money. She requires states to apply one of three categories, she says, which accounts for 60% of the grant award. She said that, and this is it, micro-grants. She uses micro-grants for families so that states can ensure they have choice and access to technology, which, of course, can only be cashed in at private businesses. So that money, because it's the same thing as an educational voucher. It's no different. She also says statewide virtual learning and course access programs so that students will always be able to access a full range of subjects, she says, even those not taught currently in state schools. Now, this is a dog whistle for all those people out there setting out, um, how should we say it? An anti-vaxxer and an anti-abortion and an anti-you name it, um, a creationist. Um, yes, yes, creationist. All, all those courses will now attract federal funding because there's an emergency, because we need to educate people, not just in how to um, become anti-vaxxers, but also how to become creationists. These now all attract federal emergency funding. Thanks to Betsy DeVos. And of course, they're only su- these services are only supplied by private companies. If you want to find out about anti-vaxxing, you've got to get a private company to tell you all about that. I'm, believe me, in America, mm-hmm. there you are. And she says, this is her third condition. New field-initiated models for providing remote education not yet imagined. So whatever it is, it's not the current system. It has to be some dreamed-up idea that might or might not work or might or might not need testing. And she says, this is to ensure... Every child is learning and preparing for successful careers. No, 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 not every child. This money is being... Gee, there's words I can use which aren't very nice. This money is being wasted. This This money is being given to... A field-initiated model providing remote education that's yet to be imagined. Well, what if it doesn't work? Mm. Then by definition, it's it's waste of money. What if it is innovative? Oh, well, it's now a private company and they they, they have the copyrights to it. Can't be used by a state school. Mm. All funded by the American taxpayer. All funded by the American taxpayer. Now, according to Celeste Fernandez Buser, a spokesperson for the National Education Association, these categories would remove resources from schools that already don't have enough in the middle of a crisis. So she's put three hurdle requirements for all the money that goes to the states, saying that it's all going to go to private institutions. It can't possibly go to support public schools doing their best to educate children in an emergency. And in America, I have to say... They're putting the kids back in school now when the, when the plague's getting worse. Here in Australia, we're starting to think about putting kids back in school because the numbers of people infected, not, not dying, just infected, is now between about 6 and 15. So, you know, like teen, teens, numbers in the teens or in single digits. We as a country, and I have to say, I'm quite proud to say this, 
And Australia as a country has done a pretty good job. We did the we, the people. We worked together, not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. Betsy DeVos wants to fund education on the basis of my child gets it, not yours. I think they use the term personal responsibility. Is that right, Jean or Dale? You have to tell me, because I don't know much about America, but they say, I'm not doing anything for you because you've got to have personal responsibility. I think this is how they get to carry guns. (laughs) It's all a bit weird, you ask me. It's a very sad situation for the Americans. I I think a lot of people all around the world are are feeling very, very sorry for for this once great country. Um, I, I will say, personally, personally, I have never met a stupid American. Ever. I have never met an American that I didn't like, personally. And I just, you know, pers- I, I've never actually physically met someone who's an American that I dislike. They are, they are on, you know, the ones that travel here to Australia to come and visit me. They're all very nice. But I have no idea what they're doing. I don't like to moralise about it, but if I scratch, if I scratch my head all the time, and I think when I, when I thought about it. Um, I'd lose my hair. <laughs> Craziness. Right, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what's going on here in Australia, which we have our own particular crazinesses after this. When the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we'll see no I won't be afraid oh I won't be afraid just as long as you stand stand by me so darling
was Stand By Me by Ben E. King. And I think it's good because that's, that's the song for the times, except, of course, 1.5 metres uh, minimum if you do understand. <laughs> but here at 3CR, we're all good at that because we know we are together, standing by each other here in the ether, broadcasting from all over the place because we can't get to the studios anymore, um, is what we do to keep the voice coming out. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to ask you to help because it's going to be Radiothon time. It's going to be a weird Radiothon. It's going to be one that 3CR needs more than it ever has in the past because as the times get more interesting, the more you need 3CR to hold on to, quite frankly. But, you know, thoughts and feelings are what I've been going on about, and I've been talking about my thoughts and feelings about Americans. But here in Australia, thoughts and feelings play out quite strongly when it comes to um, defending education, but also just the idea of children and schools. And I think we should pay attention to that as well because different parents and different kids have mixed feelings in these difficult times. And I think we're going to, I'm going to ask Dale and Jean to share with us um, what it is what it is that's going on actually out there at the coalface as children start to be told that going back to school is a good idea. So, Dale, can you share with us something? Sure. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I've got um, an interesting little piece of research here. Now, I'm not entirely sure about the body doing the research. They're called CLUEY, C-L-U-E-Y, CLUEY Learning. I, obviously, they're a private company, but whether or not they're a think tank or, a, you know, their policymakers or whatever, I don't know. But uh, they've done some research about what Australian primary school parents are feeling about... Um, about at-home learning and also about what going, what they're feeling about going back to school. So, um, yeah, I'll just talk about that. Uh, it's back to school around Australia, so how are Aussie parents feeling and what has at-home learning taught them? Well, 46% of parents, they say, are excited about going back. Uh, 15%, they say, are anxious and 39% have mixed feelings. These are the parents. Uh, the research covered the types of interactions students had with their teachers and the time commitments that parents had to make to support their child's learning and the ways that this had affected their career. Uh, many parents are ready to pass the baton back to the teachers, but um, there's plenty with mixed feelings. But anyway, what at-home learning has taught Australians? Primary school parents revealed that. Almost 60% agree that their their own uh, personal careers have been impacted due to their child learning at home. Uh, 29% of primary school parents admit that at-home learning has negatively impacted their quality of life, while conversely 21% of parents have experienced a positive impact with at-home learning. So that's interesting. Uh, 47% of parents believe that the lack of peer-to-peer learning has been the biggest educational challenge for their child. And over 65% of parents uh, think that they now have a better understanding of how their child learns as a result of at-home learning. A a scary but not so surprising um, result was that metro students or city students are more likely to receive live online classroom sessions compared with their regional counterparts, which, you know, again, it's not ideal, but it's not surprising. Um, 
48% of parents believe that their child likes or even loves online learning, yet one in three parents believe that their child's learning has suffered during this period of at-home learning. Uh, and un- I guess unsurprisingly, private school parents are more likely to believe that their career has suffered. Um, private school parents are more likely to, uh, this is all what the research is saying, the private school parents are more likely to have been offered time with their child's teacher to discuss their learning progress, while public school students were more likely to have received worksheets as their main learning method. And that's quite a large, uh, that's quite a large disparity between the qualities there. Um, if you'd like to find out more about this, uh, this research, you can go to cluelearning.com.au. That's C-L-U-E-Y learning, L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G. So yeah, just a little bit of how, well, what their research suggests that parents are feeling about going back to school. So I thought that was yeah, interesting. Jane, do you have any comments? Oh well, I, I think that uh, Dale pointed out that with the resource on the on the level of resources, the private schools um, had more resources to put into this than the um, than a lot of public school teachers. However, if a large number of public school children received uh, worksheets, that must have meant an awful lot of work was done by the actual public school teachers to make sure that they didn't suffer. Mm. Uh, that's my take on it. Yeah, it's a lot more but work, isn't it? Even, even when the resources weren't available in the public sector, the teachers um, made the extra effort, which we know they do again and again for disadvantaged children. Australia's um, Children are well served by their teachers in the public system. Uh, even those, many of them are asked to teach subjects that they don't, that they are not um, really qualified to teach in or they'd rather not teach. They still um, put up the, the sleeves and get into the job. And um, I think it's very sad that they are not paid a great deal more than they are and that the, um, the, the governments of Australia are talking about having wage visas when our nurses and our teachers and our teacher aides and our administrators have gone the second mile. I find this um, a great concern. And I'd also be a great concern about the new industrial relations uh, suggestions where Mr Morrison is going to leave out Mr Albanese, but wants the trade union heads to come to the party. If I was them, if I was the leaders of the trade unions in this situation, I would be very wary because I think that lady is going to be duchessed and if she is drawn into um, making decisions which are adverse to her members, she will get the blame, not Morrison. So when you sup with the devil, you always need a very, very long spoon. <laughs> and I think the teachers unions and the teachers in the public schools should be watching very carefully as to what our uh, 
hyper-capitalist government in uh, Canberra has got in store for their conditions and their paycheck for the future. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jane, for your contributions, and thank you very much to Zoom for that delay. Um, We'll be back with more after this. G'day, you mob. Kutcher Edwards here. I just want to send out a message to you all. To stop the spread of COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus, it is advised that you keep 1.5 metres away from each other. Follow rules on social gatherings. Wash your hands when appropriate and stay home if you're feeling sick or unwell. But most of all, keep strong, stay safe. And of course, keep listening to 3CR Community Radio to keep connected to the community. We'll get through this and hope to see you real soon. Bye. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM Darwin podcast all over the www's at 3cr.org.au. It's all just an amazing thing, actually, if you really think about it, to be able to have public school activism on the radio, well, on the www's while I'm sitting in a cave somewhere up in, in, in the magic hills where no one can find me. Um, technology is a wonderful thing. Because here at the Dogs, of course, we're not on site. Nobody is anymore. Um, Dale and myself and Jane are all looking at each other on 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 tiny little candle-lit screens with the <laughs> generators pumping in the background. It's all wonderful and good and it's all fun. Mm. Um, but I'll tell you what's not fun. is actually being informed that state schools in New South Wales, someone's finally done the numbers on enrolments. Now, you'll often hear me talk about good schools and perception of not good schools. And what happens is that a whole bunch of middle-class parents say, this school is good, they all send their kids there, and all of a sudden it gets good results and everyone's very happy because the state school has become a good school. The enrolments from all the local private schools go down, the enrolments from this local state school go up, and everyone's great. And if you look at it on the face of it, you say, great, excellent, great state school. Now, I've done a lot of these from sort of Baldwin High to McMahon. I'm not talking about selective schools. I'm not talking about Melbourne High or McRobb or things like that. These are just good state schools. Now, the thing is that round the corner, there's another state school, and it is not, inverted commas, considered to be good. Now, so you've got a good state school, and round the corner you've got a what is considered to be not good state school. Now, in a free market, you go, oh, well, that's okay. People doing good things should be rewarded and people doing not good things should be forgotten about. Trouble is, there's all these school buildings and there's all these teachers and all these chairs and all these resources. So what they've done in New South Wales, because it's more centralised up here, and I think you'll be interested in this, Gene, I really do, is that there are a very large number more than 500 New South Wales state schools that exceed their enrolment caps, some of them by almost a 1,000 students. That's an extra 1,000 students. So what's the enrolment cap? An enrolment cap is the number of desks and resources in permanent classrooms. 
Now, the capacity of a school's permanent buildings is the capacity of the school. Now, we have demountables, and you have portables, and you have visibles, and visibles, and visibles, and who knows whatables. And you can fit more kids in if you put them in portable classrooms. But a cap is the permanent school buildings in a school for the education of the kids. And some schools, 500, have more. A few schools have a 1,000 more students than they have the capacity to teach in their permanent school buildings. And when I say some, I'm not talking about one or two. It's absolute. If someone's done the numbers, Jerry Brook, Technology High, extra 500 kids have to be put in portables. Matthew Pierce, Public School, Balcom Hills, is trying to reduce his excess population by around about 800 kids. Iron Ridge Public School in Rouse Hill, Ropes Crossing Public School near Penrith, Meadowbank Public have triple the number of students that their permanent buildings can possibly cater for and will have to cut their population by two-thirds. I'm going to talk about this because this is interesting because a government is responsible not just for the good school, it's responsible for the school round the corner, which is under-enrolled. And this is not all about the free market or this. This is about providing a public service to all kids. Now, I do, I do completely appreciate that people want the best for their child. But dogs, we're about the best education for all children, and I'll be following this up in weeks to come. But you've been to the Dodge Program on 3CR 855, on the AM Dial podcast, all over the www. You can talk to us or get hold of us at our website, www.adog.info, or indeed at the 3CR website, which is www.3cr.org.au. Do not call the station. So I won't even give you their phone number because there's nobody there. Well, I'll just uh, interrupt you there, Rob. I will be playing an yeah. announcement that uh, the station will have people answering the phones between 1, oh, and, wow. one and 4, 4 o'clock during uh, weekdays. There's, it's only very new, so you, you're yeah. heard. That's so exciting. Yes, you oh, I'm heard. sorry. Look, this is an announcement that's come in as we're on air. This is amazing. That's right. On 94198377, if you do want to call 3CR, especially coming up to Radio Thorn. That's and right. Until next week, from Dale and myself and Jean, it's bye for now. Oh,
Jesus killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. On to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. subscription make a donation or pass on some information to a programmer we can't get to the phone all the time right now but we're still here you can call us on 03 94198377 each weekday between 1 and 5 p.m and talk to a staff member that's 03 9419-8377 3cr community radio here to stay listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.